You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Wednesday night at like 2.30 in the morning, I wake up to go to the bathroom. Thursday night, 2.30 in the morning, wake up to go to the bathroom. And I can't see anything, and I kick a stool in my kitchen, uh, and it hurts so bad. You know, like when you stub your toe in the middle of the night? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was like, man, that hurt really bad. And so I'm going to the bathroom and I look down, there's like a giant pool of blood by my foot. And I sliced between my fourth and fifth toe, like all the way down to the bone. And I was like, oh no. And I got my wife, I'm like, Juby, I, I sliced my foot, I could see the bone. She's like, you need to go to the hospital. I was like, I want to go back to bed. And she was like, all right. And so she bandaged it up and I went back to bed. And I went to the hospital the next day, or the urgent care the next day, and I got stitches and she was like, the doctor like legitimately was like, you're an idiot because you had exposed bone and you didn't do anything about it. And so now I'm on antibiotics. Um, and and the, the reason I'm telling you that story is because uh, I want you all to know that we are a highly evolved species. Um, contrary to what I did uh, this week. We're a really highly evolved species, in fact. Um, uh, we're right up there with ants and termites and bees and apes. Um, pretty impressive, right? You know Why? Anybody want to guess? You guys are, you guys are afraid, huh? Uh, tribes. It's because we all live in tribes. Ants, bees, termites, us, apes, we live in tribes. Now, there's, there's groups that live in, like, flocks and fish that live in school, but, but tribes, that's, like, really different. Um, because with the tribe, what you do is you're willing to say, uh, I'm going to secede some of my power in order to make a group better. So uh, we all have these roles, right? We're like, oh, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to work instead of lead because it's going to help. We have the drones. We have the queens. We have all that stuff. And we do the same thing today where we're like, um, uh, you know what? I'm going to play my role in this group because it's going to make the group much better. It's going to make the tribe a whole lot better. It's it's a really, really cool thing. So um, what we do, and the reason we're highly evolved, just like the apes and the bees and the ants and everything else, is um, is because we have this like negotiation that we have to have with, with the other people or the other things in our tribe. Like, there's this really, really complicated construct that we have. And so there's this uh, biologist, his name's E.O. Wilson, and this is what he says about this con- construct. He says, um, the, our existence in tribes have required a complicated mix of closely calibrated altruism, cooperation, competi- co- cooperation, competition, domination, reciprocity, defection, and deceit. Humans have had to feel empathy for others, to measure emotions of a friend and enemy alike to judge the intentions of all of them, and to plan a strategy for personal social interactions. So the reason that we evolve in such a way is because there is this constant give and take negotiation, this constant figuring out our place that we have to make, okay? Now, there's something else really good about tribes. The other really good thing about tribes is that we defend ourselves well, okay? We work together to defend ourselves. It's not every person or everything or every termite for themselves. It is working together to make sure that we're all right. That's a pretty amazing thing. Now, we are different. Humans are different. You want to know what makes us different than any other tribe in the known universe? I'm going to tell you. Here's what makes us different from any other tribe in the known universe. Even when there is no enemy, human beings will create an enemy. Seriously. (laughs) Even when there is no enemy, human beings are the only tribe in the known universe that will create an enemy. Okay? This is... 
we do this. I think we all get this. Sometimes it's harmless, right? It's harmless when we create an enemy. Like, uh, I'm a big sports fan. I'm a big Mets fan. And I spent, like, way too much money and time going to Mets games and playoff games. Uh, and when they played, like, say, like, the Cubs in the playoffs, like, you know, the Cubs fans were my enemies, right? And, and it was fun. Oh, look at the Cubs fan. They're such an inferior team, blah, 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 you know? And, um, and that was for the six baseball fans here, by the way. And, and, uh, uh, you know, we do that, and it's fun, it's harmless, right? Like, oh, I went to Michigan, and you went to Ohio State. Oh, I don't like you. You know, we joke around about it. Fraternities, sororities do this. Um, I don't know. Playgroups, Jelly of the Month Club. I can't think, I just lost my train. I can't think of what, where, you, you, you know, you create enemies, and it's harmless, and it's not a big deal, and it's just part of, of society, part of living. Now, there are other times. There are other times where we create enemies, and it actually gets pretty serious. In fact, the same biologist I just spoke of, his name was E.O. Wilson, he did a study. And in the study, he just took groups and he separated them, just arbitrarily separated them. This is what he had to say about it, okay? He said, these arbitrary groups, they judged their opponents to be less likable, less fair, less trustworthy, less competent. The prejudices, uh, prejudices asserted themselves even when the subjects were told that the in-groups and out-groups had been chosen arbitrarily. That plays itself out in some really destructive ways. I'm going to go on. So in this study, when you go on in the study, uh, uh, they showed people pictures of people who were not like them. So people of different ethnicity, people with different political ideologies, different thoughts, different looks, uh, abilities, and disabilities. They showed people these pictures and, registered, and uh, measured brain activity. And what they found overwhelmingly and consistently was that when people were shown these pictures of others that weren't like them, the brain registered fear and anger across the board, across the board. That's crazy, that's really crazy. Not only that, um, but then they said, okay, now we're gonna take the pictures and we're gonna show you videos of violence happening to somebody who is not like you. And across the board, across the board in this study, every time someone saw violence happening to someone who was not like them, it registered very little guilt or shame, if anything at all. That, that's messed up. That is messed up. So congratulations to humans. We're giant jerks. That's what we are. Uh, we create enemies when there is none, and we are destructive in the way that we create our enemies. That's what we are. So now, I don't condone any of this, and I, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but, but can we understand that when a movement happens like Occupy Wall Street or Black Lives Matter, why there's such opposition to it? Do we sort of get that? Do we understand why there's always war? Do we, do we start to get why um, uh, people, when refugees want to come in the country, how people are like, no, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. Do we get why there's abuses of power, why there's police brutality? Do we get why churches, the fastest growing churches in America are two of them. There's the prosperity churches and then the ones that are against something. We are against X. We're against uh, this group of people. Um, you know, and we create it, like even the devil, like the devil made me do it. How many times have you heard that before? That might be, I might be dating myself. But... Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we do. We, we create enemies. We create enemies at the expense or, or so that, that, we, that we can continue this, this competition so that we can continue this um, divisiveness so that we can continue to put ourselves above and ahead of others. Oh, how many people feel really good about themselves right now? I feel great. So this puts us in direct... You know, well, first of all, how many, how many people grew up in the church? How many of you? <laughs> okay, so you guys know, because every single this person in this room, I feel like, just raised their hand. You guys know that this, is in, this contradicts the Jesus message completely. Like, absolutely, like, it just 
contradicts it completely. So we've been in this Beatitude series and we're talking about um, how counterintuitive this is. And this is biologically counterintuitive, right? This is like one of these deals where we literally have to shift the way we've evolved in order to live out this, this, this Christ life, this, this kingdom life. Because even though we are naturally made to create enemies or even though we have evolved to create enemies where there are none, Jesus says this, and, and I think most of us know this, but it's good to read anyway. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes sun to rise on good and evil, on evil and good, sends rain to the righteous and unrighteous. If you just love those who love you, what reward do you get? The tax collectors, they're even doing that. And if you greet your own, only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Fun thing, the Greek translation of penguin, uh, peng, penguin. pagan is uh, it's farmer. So don't even the farmers do that? I don't know, just interesting to me. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the message. Um, so what we have here are children of God. Like uh, We're talking about what does it mean to be a child of God? Well, being a child of God says that you are going against the, the biological evolution of the human species and you are living a counterintuitive life where you love that enemy instead of creating an enemy. Wow. That's really hard. That makes me a little afraid. And here's what I'm starting to realize. I think I'm starting to realize this. You know what the opposite of love is? The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. That's what I think the opposite of love is because it's scary to think about loving that person that's not like you. It's scary to think about loving the person who has a different religion, the person you don't understand, the person whose traditions and culture looks way different than yours do. It's hard to understand somebody whose life experience uh, has been one where they've you know, maybe been out on the streets or living in a different way. And here you are, have grown up one way, and here's Jesus saying, if you really want to be a child of God, if you really want to live out this kingdom, stop creating enemies in your head. Go love that person. In fact, he says, don't be afraid. Perfect love drives out fear. So let's read it. First John says, if you are a child of God, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay, so let's review. Biologically, we've evolved to have enemies. We want them. We're afraid. Biologically, we're uh, made to be afraid of people. Not made to, but we've evolved to be afraid of people. We say that we're better than others. Okay, that's what we do, it's how we are as human beings. And all of a sudden it says to be a child of God, you love your enemy. To be a child of God means you're praying for your enemy. Child of God means you're withholding your power. And it brings us to the Beatitudes, brings us to where we are today, brings us to the counterintuitive message that we have today. And it's simple. It's Matthew chapter five, verse nine. And this is what it says. It says, blessed are you the peacemaker for you will be called a child of God. So how do we get to a place where we love our enemies? How do we get to a place where we're praying for those who persecute us? How do we get to a place where we live out this counterintuitive message? When we are peacemakers. When we're peacemakers. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does it mean? Is it a gun? Yeah, it is a gun, actually. Cult peacemaker. But what does it mean to really be a peacemaker in the way that they're talking about right now? Uh, when I was younger... I went to my cousin's house, and uh, he lived in Michigan, and we were going to basketball camp together. And so we were playing basketball all day, and he was, uh, he was a couple years older than I was, and I kept tagging, uh, tagging along with, with his friends, like wherever his friends would go, I would follow them. And, um, you know, basketball was competitive enough, and we get home, we play video games, we were playing like Nintendo and stuff, and he, you know, I would beat him, and he didn't like it. Um, 
he was like an introvert. I'm like super extroverted. So he was like, I want my alone time. I was like, no. Um, <laughs> and so we were playing uh, RBI baseball on Nintendo. Anybody remember that game? That was a solid game. And uh, I'll never forget it. He threw his paddle at me and he like stood up and he was getting ready to like push me and fight me. And, um, and my, my aunt, who I know was just like fed up, like just dealing with this all week, like comes running in the room. She goes, boys, we're going to a movie. And we were getting ready to fight and then we were like, okay. And so we, we got ready to go to the movies and uh, we saw what I thought at the time was possibly one of the greatest movies I've ever watched. It was called Blue Chips, starring Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, there it is. And Nick Nolte was in it too. Can we say Oscar? I think we can. Uh, I loved it. Uh, yeah, I would say for a good two years it was my favorite movie. Uh, and so that's what my aunt took us to go see. We went and saw Blue Chips. And, and here's the deal. Shaquille O'Neal, or no Shaquille O'Neal, uh, what my aunt did was not, that is not peacemaking, okay? That's not peacemaking. That is peacekeeping. My aunt, and God bless her, she did the right thing. She kept the peace. That's what she did. What does it mean to keep the peace? Keeping the peace means that you are not willing or unable at that point to get to the heart of a matter. What you want to do is you want to simply change the situation. And so it gets changed temporarily. So what you end up doing when you're keeping the peace is you are there to temporarily change an environment or a situation. You make that situation better for a little while without ever getting to the heart of an issue. So to take us to the movies, that was an amazing you know, strategy but it was peacekeeping. We hear about peacekeeping missions. Peacekeeping missions aren't necessarily changing anything. They're keeping the peace for a temporary time. Peacekeeping is done to make people happy. Peacemaking makes people healthy. Peacekeeping is done to make people happy. Peacemaking makes people healthy. Okay, so peacemaking means that, that it, you know, in this situation, you're sitting down and you're actually getting to the heart of what's going on. Why do you really hate your cousin? You know, like, tell me about it. And that's just an example. But, but peacemaking says, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to reconcile and I'm going to create unity and I'm going to turn an enemy into a brother. That's what peacemaking does. Peacemaking says, I'm willing to take the time that it deserves to see that person become healthy, to see my relationship become healthy. If we are children of God and if we love our enemies, it means we are peacemakers. I think too often people think, oh, if I'm a peacemaker, it means I never bring up an issue or I never, uh, you know, get into an argument or I just, I make everybody happy. No, I do the hard work of making sure this is a healthy relationship. Peacemaking means that we're healthy. Peacekeeping means that we're happy. Guess what? I don't think this gospel here is to make us happy. I don't think it is. I think it's to make us whole. So what do we do? How do we become children of God? How do we change this biological evolution that we have um, that says that we need to create enemies? How do we do that? How do we start peacemaking? Well, first of all, I think this is the biggest point. This is on a big church, on a macro level. Okay, we need to understand that peacemaking is at the absolute heart of the gospel message. Okay, peacemaking is it. This is what the gospel message is about. Uh, if you've been to this church a lot, then you hear me talk all the time about the Roman Empire. You're probably sick to death of it. Well, I'm doing it again. We're talking about the Roman, so, so I even told this story once. Um, there was a general named Varus in the Roman Empire who sacks the city called Sepphoris. And, and do we remember what, what he does when he sacks Sepphoris? He sacks Sepphoris and he takes crosses and for three miles plants these crosses and, and hangs the people of Sepphoris on them. Now the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire is incredible. Incredible about, at creating enemies, right? They were incredible at creating enemies. 
incredible about building an empire based on fear, based on tactics, based on strategy, based on manipulation, right? That's what they were able to do. So you have this cross, these crosses lined up, conveying shock and awe and power. And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Jesus comes along and Jesus is on the, cro- on the cross. And what does the cross do? The cross isn't about shock and awe and power and creating enemies. The, the cross is about mistreatment and rejection and then forgiveness and then reconciliation and then resurrection. That's peacemaking. That's changing something. That's changing the way our brains operate. That's changing our biology. That's saying there's no more fear. We look at our enemies and the tools our enemies use to hurt us, and we make them tools of reconciliation, forgiveness, and resurrection. What does that mean for us? It means that if we really believe this, right? It means that if we really have faith in this reconciliation and resurrection of the cross, that means that as a big church, big C, then we have the ability to change systems just like Jesus did. That we have the spirit upon us to change these systems. So Jen mentioned earlier, don't walk by. You know, here's the system, right? And we all live in New York City. Let's be honest, like the homeless situation, sometimes it feels like emptying the ocean with a bucket. You know, it just, is this ever going to get better? Are we ever gonna fix this? Is this ever gonna be something where people aren't, you know, suffering? And I don't know, but here's what I know I can do. I know I can do something like don't walk by, you know, and I could go and I could be a part of a solution that brings unity and reconciliation and peacemaking and wholeness and health to a group of people who haven't had it otherwise. Uh, She's not here right now, but I see her husband. I was gonna talk about Hannah today. Nice of Hannah not to be at church. (laughs) Uh, but Hannah Johnston, <laughs> I know, she's probably at, yeah, let her know I talked about her, yeah. She, uh, she's this incredible woman who goes to our church. She also goes to another church called St. Lydia's, and they're constantly working uh, uh, just to help marginalized people, whether it be through protest or it be through service or be through, uh, you know, being a part of a movement, and, and I'm challenged. Maybe it's time for our church to be a part of bigger protest and bigger movement. Maybe it's time for our church to call out systematic injustice. Maybe it's time for us to do the same thing. If Jesus is saying, I create peace by absolutely subverting and changing the way the cross looks, it's not a shock and awe, it's a resurrection and reconciliation, and I think we can subvert, we can change the way our biology looks too and say, you know, it's not about, you know, oppressing enemies, it's about bringing people to a place of wholeness and health and equality. That's number one. Number two. This is for us in this room right now, those of us who have been a part of this forefront community. And I have to tell you, like, I'm incredibly proud of us. We're proud of us as a church. I think about uh, three and a half years ago when this church started, and I think about who we were then. I think about where we've gone to in in terms of being mature, in terms of spiritual growth, in terms of being people who want uh, to experience the spirit, in terms of people who want to pray well, who want to read scripture well, who want to live a Christ life well, people who want to see their biology change. It's been amazing and I don't want it to stop here. And I want to remind each and every one of us that our community, our forefront church, this isn't a church where we're trying to make everybody happy, right? This is the church where we're trying to create health. We're trying to make everybody healthy. So it's our job to do the peacemaking work of seeing this health created. That means that if we're making terrible decisions, which, you know, like me, walking around at 2.30 in the morning, kicking stools, but, but if we're making bad decisions, we might want to call each other out on it. Hey, I love you, and I want to see wholeness in you. And so instead of saying, oh, I just want you to be happy right now, no, I want to see you healthy right now. 
Maybe uh, we're, we're at a place where we say, you know what? Uh, I see incredible growth and maturity in this person. How did that happen? Tell me what you did to get to this place because I, I need your help right now. That's what a church community does for one another. We say we're not here to be happy. We're here to live out peacemaking, to be children of God, to be healthy. What ways are we missing out on health right now? What ways can we help other find that health? What ways can we push one another slowly but surely in changing the way we've evolved to say, I no longer need this enemy, but I'm here to bring the peace that comes with reconciliation and resurrection. That's what I'm here to do. So here's what I want to do right now. I want to take some time right now. I want to end. And I want you guys to close your eyes. And in a few minutes, we're going to have communion. Communion's on these two back tables over here. We're not going to do that just yet. But I want you to prepare yourselves for a communion. It's this time where we get to celebrate the cross. We get to celebrate that the cross was, you know, completely turned upside down to be something that represents love and peace and resurrection and reconciliation. And what I want us to do is I want us to prepare ourselves to go to that table. And as we pray, I'm going to ask you some questions. Close your eyes. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I want you to name what you're afraid of and I want you to bring it to the communion table. Know that Christ is working to change you and our tribe and that perfect love drives out fear. Who is your enemy? What enemies are you creating? Name that enemy, whether it be your job or a person or an addiction, whatever it might be, name that enemy. Bring that to the table with you and begin working toward reconciliation and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Are you afraid to hold yourself or someone else accountable? Are you afraid to stop growth? Or you just want people to be happy? Bring that with you to the table and ask that God would give you the strength to make peace. What are your struggles? Where are you ashamed? Where are you angry? Where are you hurt? Where are you lonely? Where are you disappointed? Where do you feel like you don't measure up? I want you to hear the good news of these beatitudes, of this message. It is in your lowest points. It's in the most difficult points that God is on your side. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. And God has called each and every one of us in this room to make peace. We are a tribe that's prone to fear. We're a tribe that's prone to violence. But that's not the final word. And we are thankful that the final word is the counterintuitive, life-changing truth of the gospel. Blessed are the peacemakers for we, for us, for our church, are called children of God. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to receive communion, allow us to receive communion with open hearts and open minds, ready to challenge the constructs of today in order to bring health and wholeness and peace and love and resurrection. In your son's name we pray all this. Amen.